The One and Only Bob, Part 2, Continued. The Shelter. I know our route to Ivan and Ruby by heart, and I can't help tugging a bit, even though I'm not supposed to. It's been a couple of days since I've seen my pals, and I need my friend fix like I need air and water and belly rubs. We don't live far, down to the end of the street, around a corner, good news source there, then a few more blocks. When I walk Julia, well, okay, I suppose it looks like she's walking to me, but I beg to differ. There's a place we pass that always makes me jumpy and bummed. It's the animal shelter. I know it's a good place, a space for pets who don't have a safe home of their own. When I was abandoned on the highway, just a few weeks old, a nice cage with a soft towel in it and a bowl of fresh water. Well, I would have given just about anything for that. Still, when I walk by and I hear all those desperate barks and meows and squeaks, it gets to me. Sometimes having great hearing is a pain. Thing is, I realize I have a home and the gang in there doesn't. And I try not to think about stuff like that, you know? I mean, it's not like I can do anything about their tough breaks, right? And in fairness, maybe those animals aren't like me. I've always been a resilient, hardworking sort. Maybe some of those guys even made their own bad luck. Don't get me wrong. I try to be a nice guy. I do what I can to make the world a better place. Sure. Chat with the guinea pigs, lick the strawberry jelly off Julia's hand, do my wag and dance when the rents come home to make them feel good. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But it's like I said before, you gotta look out for numero uno. Guess that's why the shelter harshes my mellow. It's just, you know, I'd rather not have to hear those guys every time I walk by. Makes me sad. Reminds me of the bad old days. Drulius. I knew this guy back when I hung out at the mall with Ivan and Ruby. Nice dog named Drulius. Basic mutt. Maybe some lab and golden in there somewhere. He'd done some hard time at a couple shelters. One of those dogs you knew had seen more than his share of the bad stuff the world can throw your way. One ear bitten off, scars, a limp. Drulius lived in his backyard, winter, spring, summer, fall. Chained up mostly. Flies on his food, empty water bowl way too often. Still, he always had a nice word to say when I'd pass him on my daily rounds, checking out the neighborhood trash cans. Once I saw his owner, again, that word, step onto the back porch. Drulius was barking, but he had a good reason. A stranger had just passed by. Barking is what we're supposed to do in that circumstance, right? Maybe he's the UPS guy. Maybe he's a serial killer. I mean, come on, we're not the FBI. So anyways, owner comes out. Big guy, mean looking, gave Drulius a hard kick with his boot, yelled, shut up, you fool, and disappeared. Drulius looked at me, kind of embarrassed. We kept talking. A few minutes later, the owner came out again, put some towels on the line. Drulius headed over, tail between his legs, cowering, saying, I'm sorry, I love you, I'm yours, 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 with his whole dog being. Guy completely ignored him, headed back inside. He's having a tough time, said Drulius when the guy was gone. He's a jerk, I said, because subtlety is not my strong point. No, he loves me. He does. He has a funny way of showing it. Humans, said Drulius, licking a sore on his leg. You know how they can be. Do I ever. 
but we got to stay true. Love them, forgive them. I thought about that, thought about it a lot. Why though, I finally asked, why do we have to forgive them? Julius looked shocked, then confused, as if I'd just asked why cheese tastes good. It just does. That's the way it is, he said. That's what we do, Bob. I started to reply, but I managed to hold my tongue, which is not easy for me. It's a very long tongue with a mind of its own. There was no point in making Drulius feel worse than he already did. Later that morning, I found half a turkey sandwich and gave the whole thing to him. Well, okay. I had a taste first, but still. Forgiveness. Seems like forgiving humans is one of those doggy things we're all supposed to do, like having zoomies or doing bed boogies. It's written into our canine souls. Well, somehow, I didn't get the memo, the one that apparently went out to every other dog on the planet, about forgiveness. Why should I forgive the humans who tossed me and my siblings out into the night? When you forgive, you lose your anger, and when you lose your anger, you get weak. And when you're weak, you can get hurt all over again. The Art of Human Watching By the time we reach the park, the sky is definitely in a bad mood. Gray clouds galloping like panic horses. The nervous scent of rain on the way, the kind that makes you antsy in your own skin. When we get near the employee entrance, I hop into Julia's backpack like always. We enter through the special gate where George shows his ID, checks in, and says hi to the staff. Pet dogs aren't allowed at the park, Natch. Foxes, wolves, jackals? My dog cousins? They are. But in my opinion, even though they're technically part of my extended family, they're nothing like dogs. Only dogs have perfected the art of human watching. The smartest thing we ever did was figure out how to how important the human gaze is. So often, when we follow our owner's eyes, we're rewarded with something amazing. A smelly sock, a glazed donut, a glazed donut that's fallen on a smelly sock. We follow every blink, every sidelong glance. We see it, whatever it is, before humans do. We understand before they do. And if there's a glazed donut involved, we eat it before they do. Puppy eyes. It's mid-morning, still pretty early. There aren't many visitors around yet. We've got a meeting in 20, George tells a couple workers. Hank and Sonia, who groan, just a quick one, going over contingency plans one last time in case there's any flooding. During the last hurricane, a small part of the park flooded, mostly near Reptileville. George helps move cages. He came home smelling like cottonmouths and copperheads. It was all I could do not to barf. Weather service just issued a tornado watch, Hank says. I thought we were having a hurricane, Julia says. We are, Gus, but sometimes tornadoes are spawned during hurricanes, George explains. Julia frowns. But a watch means maybe, not for sure, right? Yeah, but I want you to head home, just in case, George says. Just in case. Please, Dad, just ten minutes, Julia says. She's using the special voice she reserves for moments when she really, really wants something from her parents. I guess kids manipulate their moms and dads the same way dogs manipulate humans. I don't know, George begins. I promise Bob. I figure that's my cue to pop my head out and look adorable. So I do. Hey, Bob, says Hank. Sonia reaches over and scratches my ears. 
I'm pretty popular around the park. I give George my best puppy eyes and he caves. 10 minutes tops, he says. Meet me back here. Puppy eyes. Works every time. Mr. Oog. Here's how I figure puppy eyes got their start. Cave humans were sitting around a fire, wearing mammoth fur and grunting about how there was nothing on TV because TV hadn't been invented yet. And some wily wolf thought, whoa, they've got leftover mammoth meat. And he probably whimpered and cowered and did a tummy display and looked pathetic enough that Mr. Oog finally tossed him a bone. And soon enough, a zillion years later, voila, man's best friend. After all that time, there's a thing, like a magnetic attraction between dogs and humans. We've studied them for so long, we can read every twitch and sigh. Suppose it was easier than chasing down mammoths. And I get it, I do. The behind the ear scratch, the food in a fancy bowl, the bed by the fireplace. Gotta admit that Julia's pretty fun to hang out with. And I'm grateful, really I am, that her family took me in. Still, I don't need them. You need someone, eventually they let you down and you end up feeling like a real doofus. The park. As Julia walks, I sneak peeks out of her backpack like I always do. We pass the meerkat family poking out from their den holes like the whack-a-mole game they used to have at Max Mall. I see the flashy flamingos with their one-legged balancing act and the terrifyingly beautiful tigers even their cute cubs give me the willies. Families, I've noticed, take a lot of different shapes. Jim and Joe, the penguins, adopted an abandoned egg, and they are the sweetest doting parents you ever saw. I see it with humans at the park, too. Families of all shapes and sizes and colors and genders, and yep, they all seem to do just fine. We round a corner past Sea Otter Alley. Oliver and Olivia are floating calmly on their backs, holding each other's paws. It's pretty adorable, I have to admit. But me, I don't need the trouble that comes with family. Babies puking, toddlers whining, spouses nagging. Talk about a design flaw. Change. The park's pretty big. Lots of twisty paths and fascinating smells. All the parts have names. There's the African aviary, the outback, penguin cove, lemur land, it's like puzzle pieces of the world. A little Africa here, a little Asia there. Dogs, you can find us pretty much everywhere. Our territory is Earth, as long as we're hooked up with humans, that is. Along the shady paths, volunteers guide, volunteer guides will answer your questions. They tell you about how animals used to roam one part of the world or another until things changed. Things change. That's one thing I've figured out. Don't ever assume a little patch of the planet belongs to you. Things change. Boxes go flying. My inner wolf. On our way, we always stop by the wolf habitat. Julia loves wolves, probably because they remind her of me. You have to look hard, maybe squint a little, but if you try, you can catch a hint of my inner wolf. It's in the eyes, mostly. Also, in my distinguished profile. I, am, I dream I'm a wolf sometimes, and when I wake up, I'm panting and my fur's on alert, and I'm feeling, yeah, the world could hurt me, but I could hurt the world right back even harder. Like there's a dangerous, hard part of me chained inside, struggling just to go free. And I don't know, get even? Then I go see what's for breakfast. Kimu. There's a gray wolf at the park who makes me a little jittery. 
jittery as in sometimes I worry he might like to eat me. His name is Kimu, and we struck a, up a conversation when a mutual acquaintance of ours, a mockingbird called Mitch, introduced us one day. Like nutwit, Mitch likes to taunt me because I'm domesticated. Gives me a lot of grief about how free he is, soaring, stringless, over the whole town. I'm not the only one who's pampered, I said one day. I mean, look at Kimu. He's not exactly running wild. As soon as the words were out of my mouth, I regretted them. And when I looked at Kimo's, I could kill you with one quick bite expression, I really regretted them. In any case, I said, moving the subject along, I've lived wild. It ain't a picnic for a dog. What was it like? Kimu asked. He moved closer to the edge of his domain. He had a strange odor, intense and scary and a little bit intoxicating. Well, I was just a pup, I said, abandoned by the side of the highway. Kimu was listening intently. Must have been tough. All I could think of was food, water. I didn't like the catch in my voice. Owl got me. Those guys are fierce, Kimu said. Can't hear them coming. I know, right? I relaxed a little. I hate owls, said Mitch. Hate them with a passion. They eat birds, you know. So do wolves, said Kimu, giving Mitch a meaningful look. So you were wild once, I asked Kimu. Never, born and raised in captivity. Suzu over there, she was. She's told us stories that would curl your fur. Honestly, it's nice to have a roof over my head. It's tough out there, man, really tough. I suppose, said Kimu. I looked at him and for the first time wondered if I really did have any wolf in me. He was a majestic animal with teeth that could shred a tree trunk. I'm also majestic, but more portable, with teeth that could mangle a pencil with enough time and effort. Hey, Bob, Mitch said, do dogs howl the way wolves do? Of course we do. So let's hear something, a duet maybe? He fluttered his wings, revealing startling patches of white. Do you know, talk to the animals? They play on that carousel. Go away, Mitch, said Kimu, with just the right amount of menace in his voice. Come on, just a little howling. Pretend there's a moon. Pretend you're free. Pretend. Kimu growled, and so did I. He was pretty impressive. Guttural. Deep. Oh, his was pretty impressive. Guttural. Deep. It spoke of death and dismemberment and all kinds of unpleasant bird nightmares. I growled, too. It spoke of me being mildly peeved. Still, Mitch got the message. He disappeared, a blur of wings. Actually, I've never held at the moon, I admitted. Me neither, said Kimu. I'd feel kind of silly doing it here. <laughs>